0: The following Dharma discourse was given by Jeffrey Shugen Arnold at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shugen Roshi is the head of the Mountains and Rivers Order and abbot of the monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmn.org. Thank you for listening. This is from the Blue Cliff Record, case 6. The main case... Master Yunmen said, I don't ask you about before the 15th day. Try to say something about after the 15th day. And then he himself answered for everyone. Every day is a good day. The verse He throws away one and picks up seven. Above, below, and in the four directions, there is no comparison. Placidly walking along, he treads down the sound of the flowing stream. His relaxed gaze describes the tracks of flying birds. The grasses grow thick, the mists overhang. Round Subuti's cliff, the flowers make a mess. I snap my fingers, how lamentable is Shunyata. Don't make a move. If you move, 30 blows. So here we are in our sort of, what would we call it, our moment of this ango, this session. You know, if we trust the Dharma and the teachings, you know, let's appreciate that in Buddhism, because it's non-theistic, in theistic religions, God necessarily and rightly plays a very central place and role. In Buddhism, because it is not centered on God, but on human life and experience, dukkha and liberation. All of the enormous outpouring, inpouring, we might say, of energy, of investigation, examination, testing, inquiry, has gone into just that, into you and me and this thing we call life and death. And if we think about or reflect on how the teachings of karma and consciousness our sentience, that we experience things through our senses, the world makes impressions on our senses and our consciousness and informs us about the world. And that gets all tangled up a knot, the Buddha said, that we that needs to be untied. And even that has to be very carefully examined and understood. What does that mean? Because it's just a, a metaphor. And every metaphor fails at some point. In Buddhism, they fail pretty early. <laughs> but they're still useful. But because of our sentience and how... The depth of our consciousness in terms of our sense consciousnesses and how accessible they are to us, that's in a sense how we are entering into practice is through what we can see and hear and touch and taste and feel and think and if that's all there was to it, then this would be a whole different number, but it's not that's just the surface of this much deeper consciousness that we don't touch directly, but that is Influenced is what is being influenced, in fact, through every experience that we have. And that our entanglements, that not, our pleasures, the samsara, doesn't just happen, right? If you start smoking cigarettes, right, and do that consistently, you may not, I've never tested this, but you may not know at what point does it actually become a habit. It's so gradual. Right? It doesn't just shift from one moment to the next. One moment it's not. The next moment it's habitual. And now it's hard to stop. It's gradual. It, it it seeps in. It sneaks up. And that's why we don't see it happening. We don't recognize it. But it happens through repetition. Over and over and over. Doing one thing. Responding in one way. Thinking certain thoughts. Having certain views. And so it's that repetition that builds up this... or Using another metaphor, it digs down and creates this groove, this riverbed. And with each repetition, it gets a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. In the beginning, it's easy to just step out. You can't even hardly notice there's an indentation. But as time goes on, it's hard to even see the light coming in. But it's the same mechanism, in a sense, by which we untie that knot through repetition. Every time we sit, every time we bring awareness, every time we remember the teachings, every time we bring forth faith, every time we atone and return to the precepts, every time we engage the Dharma, but really just reality, the way things are, as they are, within ourselves, between ourselves, every time that happens, no matter how slight, that repetition of that action, and within that... Pool within that field of good actions is not only untying that knot of samsara, but is also developing the stability and the strength and the consistency and the integration, all the things that we want. And when we understand that and trust that, then it's we don't need to get so hung up in the results of this moment. So this period of zazen was really rough. Ugh, my practice sucks. The Shin is terrible. Right? Everything is reduced to one moment, and that's why we have to have lots and lots of moments of all those fluctuations. And so we're starting to we're accumulating experience. It's like no, that is just a moment. It comes and it goes. Don't ignore it, but don't make more of it. And so I was thinking about all the work that we've been doing, this ango, this subject study of birth and death, these marvelous teachings of Dogen, the Sutta. And I thought, how could we look at that? What does it all come down to? Master Heumann said, I don't ask about before 15th day. Try to say something about after the 15th day. And the commentary says the words before the 15th day have already cut off a thousand distinctions. The words after the 15th day have also cut off these distinctions. The fact is that you didn't say that the next day is a 16th day. People coming after him merely followed his words to produce interpretations. But what, what relevance has this? He established a protean style and surely had a way to benefit people. Having spoken some words, he then answered himself on everyone's behalf. Every day is a good day. These words pervade past and present from before until after and settle everything at once. I remember when I first heard this, teaching this koan, and I thought, really? How is that possible? From what place, from what view, having experienced what, can he speak this way? When the mind exists undisturbed in the way nothing in the world can offend, and when a thing no longer offends, it ceases to exist in the old way, which is very important. It doesn't cease to exist. It ceases to exist in the old way. It's still here, but now it's not the same. jong spoke, said something similar in a different way. He said, when the transgression is transformed into the host, it no longer offends. the story of Yun-men with his teacher, Muchao. Muchao was pretty tough. And then every time somebody would come to his the abbot's room to talk to him, ask him a question, he would just say, speak, speak. And if they couldn't say anything, he would just push them out and close the door. So Yun-men studied with him and, and, and three times came to his door, and each time he was repelled. But the last time, before Muchao could closed the door. He stuck his leg in the door to keep the door from closing, and he broke his leg. And at that, he had, it said, a great enlightenment experience. (laughs) It's not kidding. But what is that? Right? If you go slam your leg in a door to break your leg, you're going to just have a broken leg. And some embarrassment, I imagine. We have to understand Yun-men's inquiry, his depth of wanting to understand. Three times he kept coming back. He kept coming back. He wouldn't be turned away. Not asking about the day before. Say something about the day after. The protean style that refers to in the uh, in the um, commentary, I had to look that up. It means able to settle everything at once, or rather no. It means... Every, what does it mean? <laughs> it means <laughs> I'm reading my notes, not the definition. It means tending or able to change frequently or easily, able to do many different things, being versatile. In Buddhism, we call this pliancy, being flexible, soft, and strong at the same time, able to bend, like these trees in the wind. A student once asked Master Yunmen, What is Zen? And Yunmen said, Yes. What more do we need to know? Yes. The Heart Sutra? Yes. Training? Yes. In the Zendo, freely give yourself over to silence and stillness? Yes. All of it to affirm, to enter into, to interrupt the, the incessant building of no. Another student asked, or one day yunmen said, every day you students come and go asking questions. If you were crossing a river, how would you do this? And a senior monastic called out, step. It says yunmen was highly pleased with this. We speak of mindfulness of the moment, of the here and now, We let go of memories. We turn towards the future, right? Just something as simple as session all week is about just this: practicing mindfulness here, now, here, now, here, now. Softening that habit to continually be going into the fantasy of future, because it is just fantasy, or the fantasy of the past, because it's not the past. It's an idea. And having faith in that and wanting to live in that and wanting to integrate that into our lives. And then towards the end of Session, what happens? Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, next week. What's coming? It's so easy for that. I don't ask about before the 15th day. How is it? Dogen said, the great way of all Buddhas thoroughly practiced is emancipation and realization. Thoroughly practiced. How many ways do the teachings say this? How many phrases? How many analogies? How many metaphors and images? How many words to try and convey something? The great way of all Buddhas, thoroughly practiced, is emancipation and realization. And so, of course, we need to ask the question, what is thoroughly practiced? We're all practicing. What is thoroughly practiced? Dogen says, actualizing Buddha ancestors, actualizing Buddha, bringing life to the Buddha, is reality thoroughly experienced. Samsara is essentially a rejection of that, a denial of that. That is not what life is about. It is not about experiencing reality thoroughly. Dogen says, reality is all things. There is nothing that is not. All things are reality of thusness. That is the state in which reality is. We call it thusness. Suchness. The basic state of things. When D- Dogan says all dharmas abide in their own state, their own dharma state, he's just speaking of thusness. The perfect unity, merging of absolute and relative. Where all things are present. But nothing is divided. And so he says, just to help us make it clear, original nature, thusness. Body, thusness. Mind, thusness. World, thusness. Cloud and rain, thusness. Walking, standing, sitting, lying down, thusness. Sadness, joy, motion, stillness, thusness. Staff and whisk, thusness. Taking up the flower and smiling, thusness on Mount Kuru inheriting the Dharma, thusness, studying and endeavoring of the way, thusness. He could go on and on and on, forever, pointing at everything, anything in the world, because it all abides in this state. And all of practice is to not create, because it can't be created, or even bring us to, but to show us, to reveal to us That that is the state of this body, of this mind, of this person, of this moment. And it's never anything else. That's the thing. There is no other reality. Even when we're, as Dogen says in many places, even when we're creating a fantasy, that is a moment of fantasy thusness. Well, then why isn't that enriching, rewarding, enlightening? Well, when we realize the fantasy as thusness, it is. But that's usually not what happens. In the fantasy, we divide ourselves, depart from, forget, distance from this thusness in our mind, because there is no other way. And so when Dogen says about birth and death, undividedly, an undivided action, that birth is completely birth, death is completely death, that they each abide in their own state and they're utterly non-dual. Right? They, they can't be separated. There cannot be life without death. That's what the Buddha kept saying over and over in the Sutta that we study. Right? Whenever sorrow or sadness or grief or remorse would arise <clears throat> at his ultimate passing, he would say, but hang on, wait. They go together. <laughs> you can't have one without the other. And so Yun Men said, every day is a good day. So the question we might ponder over is what is this good? What does he mean? Tomorrow Session will end, Ango will be completed sitting with the sangha, sharing a meal, beautiful spring day, filled with the week. You know, there's something that when we really apply ourselves thoroughly, deeply, in a committed way, and give ourselves in a way that challenges us, and there's something about human nature that seems to require that, that actually requires that to keep us from falling asleep, to bring our attention to what's in front of us, to remind us of essential truths. Because that tendency towards dullness, towards complacency, towards apathy is very strong. Right? Towards being comfortable in a way that actually isn't ultimately comforting. And so when we, you know, work as we are, as we have been during session. There is there's a there's an uplift. I mean, even if it's been difficult, most often there's a there's a feeling of having done something, and you have. And so filled with that, then you drive home, and you have an accident, or you get home, you ride, you find out you've lost your job, your partner's pissed off, at you. You catch up on the news. Oh my God, right? And yun man calls sweetly into your ear. Every day is a good day. How? What? Now, of course, he doesn't mean that every day you get what you want. You avoid what you dislike. You're only with those you love. You love those you're with. You satisfy every expectation. You succeed in every endeavor. (laughs) You win every argument heroically. (laughs) every problem, you grow old without discomfort, you never get sick, and you well, you have to die, but you die a peaceful death (laughs) of your own choosing. (laughs) Asleep. That's not what he means. What is his meaning? A student asks you, men, how should I act during each hour of the day to be in accord with the Dharma? That's what we want to know. Yunmen said, give up your effort. The student said, how should I give up my effort? Yunmen said, give up the words you just uttered. <laughs> give up. Give up. It has to be done freely. It has to be done in trust. Sometimes it's done with resistance, yeah. But that's, when you give up with, within resistance, that's a heap of trust. The Buddha said all fabrications are subject to end and decay. Not just ending, but decay. You can't reconstitute them. They're not coming back. Just give up your effort. But how is that not more effort? It can't be done by force. And so how much of, you know, I think of so many aspects of of Dharma practice as these sort of beautiful, necessary often very challenging tensions, dynamics, between appear, what appear to be two opposites, which in a way they are for the moment. How do we apply ourselves? Because we must. I mean, if we just sit down passively, then the habit mind just continues unabated. If we try to force that mind into abeyance, we just tighten the knot. So what kind of effort? And why does men say, give up your effort? Do we apply effort in practice to get to the point where we actually can do exactly that, give up all effort? I mean, it's not unique to Buddhism. It's not unique to Dharma practice or meditation. Think about almost any, any discipline, particularly if it's got sort of, you know, motor components to it, as in the human body a skill that you have to do, playing a musical instrument, speaking a language, anything that requires training that we have to do over and over again, and it's clumsy, and we, have, we keep forgetting, and you know everything falls apart, and it's awkward, but then it starts to become more comfortable, more accessible. It starts to flow a little bit, but we still have to practice, and we still have to remember, and we still have to correct, and all of that, and then that starts to fall away. You know, I've talked to people who are bi or multilingual, and they say, talk about the first time they dreamt in the new language. Like, that must be a sign. And so it's not unique to Buddhism, but it's important in Buddhism, because the integration here is not, and the point here is not, some particular arena of our life. It's the whole thing. And so after a lifetime of acting and responding, experiencing, reacting repeatedly over and over and over and over again, and within that, based on views and beliefs and attachments that every time we engage in the way, they get stronger, they're confirmed, these must be true, when that effort that creates those deep habits seems effortless. We're not aware that we're actually trying or doing anything anymore because they're habitual. How do we give up that effort without slipping into being passive or complacent? You know, I've talked about when I, you know, I came into practice doing, you know, doing it the way I did it, most things, you know, rather kind of like a sport, you know. Put your head down, run hard till you hit something, push, Push it back, push it back, push it back. Don't yield. Right. If you get knocked down, you have to try hard. You have to push harder. And whatever patterns we bring into practice, we bring them because to some degree they've worked. Not without cost, mind you. But to some degree they've gotten us what we've wanted. And when I realized that that way, that effort, that kind of effort, was, was used up in the sense that it was not only holding me back, but hurting me. It was, like, making me miserable. I remember <laughs> sitting down at the registrar's desk, which is where the work supervisor's desk one day, when I was a registrar, and it was not a good day. <laughs> not a good day. And I was in discernment about my monastic life, and I think I had my head in my hands, and I was looking down, and he was standing there, right in front of me, looking at me. I didn't even see him. See him. And he said, so you want to do this for the rest of your life? (laughs) (laughs) And I smiled and I thought, (laughs) Mm -hmm -hmm -hmm. but when when I realized something has to change, I have to do something differently. This way of applying myself has spent itself and I am spending myself. And when I began to really work with that in throughout my body, trying to really relax tension, and in my mind, and everywhere that I could see it. And I began to see it everywhere. And beginning to let go of that was frightening. Literally. I don't mean like, you know, in a romantic sense. It was scary. And I didn't trust it because I felt like I wasn't doing anything. Like I was being lazy and and passive and just sitting there like a dead piece of meat. I wasn't trying It was very difficult to trust what I knew that I needed to do, because it just felt wrong from every direction. And I just kept reminding myself, don't trust that. Don't trust that impulse. Don't trust that mind that says this is untrustworthy. Practices like that, we have to take chances. And you don't know. You can't know in advance. So giving up, Yun-men says. We face it from the first moment of zazen. The first moment we start sitting, we face it. We may not recognize it as such, but it's there. And it doesn't stop, basically. That habit doesn't stop until we stop. And in a sense, for every one of us, it's how do we get to that place? And Because we have to get there over and over again. It's not just once to that place where we realize, oh, I actually, I have to yield. Dogen says when you encounter a, a, a massive mountain that won't yield, there's no way around it, there's no way over it. He said you yourself must yield. To give up the effort of creating greed and anger confusion. To give up the idea that something is missing, that someone is lacking. To give up our faith and what is not trustworthy, that is huge. That is huge. That's much harder than just letting go of, you know, blather, letting go of objects arising in the mind, to let go of the trust that we have, that we have relied upon, that has been sort of our guiding principle, even if it's invisible to us. That is not going to go down without a fight or without something. We don't have to call it a fight. But the Buddha said when, when the, your house starts to, to, to rock and roll, right? gaps are appearing, nails are starting to come out, and Mara's not just going to sit by and go, oh, good work, good work, yeah, keep going. No, oh, he's going to raise hell. She's going to raise hell. She's going to come and shake you and say, what are you doing in the most clever of ways? in the most familiar of voices, going directly to our most soft bellies, vulnerable places. And it will seem true. That voice, that perspective, will seem true until it doesn't. When Dogen says, set aside your body and mind, forget about them. Give them up. Give them away. Just don't fabricate. And throw all of that into the house of the Buddha. Now everything is being done by the Buddha. To forget the self is, when the transgression is transformed into the host, it no longer offends. But what about every day is a good day? On days that from every rational perspective is not a good day. It's not a good day from small to catastrophic. And we need to remember that these teachers that have come down through these ages, you know, they weren't, their lives were not all easy. The times in which they practiced, the, the societies in which they practiced were sometimes very, very difficult, very um, antagonistic. I mean, just all of the things that happen in the human world. Famines and floods and plagues and, and, and marauding bandits and governments. So it's not like they're all speaking from some, you know, penthouse. And so what is every day is a good day. Togan says, as a Buddha is in birth and death, there is no birth and death. When you are in the mountains, you can't see the mountains. I mean, just think about it this way. In the moment when you are quite convinced that this is not a good day, this is not a good moment, where are you right then? What is your mind doing? What is it creating? Are you perhaps thinking? Are those thoughts perhaps laden with meaning that bring forth emotions Which themselves are laden with meaning, which you experience in particular ways, probably not very well, not very good. They're not good feelings, they're not good emotions. That means something too. And it builds, and it builds, and it builds. And what is necessary for all of that to happen is not being in the mountain. Not being in the mountain. When you are in the mountains, you don't see the mountain. When you are just practicing, just practicing, you lose the sense of practice. When you are just experiencing one moment, without names, without labels, without judgments, without evaluations, without comparison, above, below, and in the four directions, there is no comparison. That's not something we do. That's not creating a mental state that you then have to hold on to and control, so you can't let any comparisons come in. It's letting go of all of that. It's relinquishing that habit of mind. That's why the poem goes on to describe how it is, having given, given up any comparison, being in the place where there are no comparisons, where you are in the mountains. How is it? Placidly walking along, tread down the sound of the flowing stream. You're relaxed, Gaze describes the tracks of the flying birds. Your senses are filled with spring. And when it's not spring, but it's something quite different, traffic, honking horns, bad news, the principle is the same. That's why I say, you know, we should always be practicing the little things because they're the most frequent I mean, the little things that we would normally just ignore, those are the things that happen most of the time. And when we practice those, we're we're developing and understanding the basic um, principle that we need to bring forth in moments that are much more significant. Even when every day is a good day, you still run out of time. (laughs) Or just talk too much, which is it. (laughs) Well, my eyebrows have already pretty much fallen out, so it's hard to tell. So tomorrow in the Dharma encounter, I want to take this up a little bit more. Every day is a good day in relationship to what we've been training, what we've been studying, birth and death, all the dualities that, as I often say, can seem so sort of abstract or intellectual or philosophical. They are not. They can be. But that should not be what we're here for. And so how does this all come down to every day is a good day? Every moment every period of zazen, every session, It means that good has to be liberated from good. Our idea of good has to be freed from our idea of good. So what does that mean? How can we discover it? The day. The day. The day itself. The moment. The moment itself. The period of zazen itself. Itself things in and of themselves abide in thusness, in their own state, at peace, perfectly. Nothing lacking, nothing in excess. You and I are like that. You and I are nothing but that. And to realize that and live that is the great challenge, is the mountain we are climbing. And so let's as he says in the poem, let's tread down the sound of the flowing stream. Don't make a move, he says. Don't make a move. Don't move away. Don't turn away. Don't look elsewhere. And there we find, there we find, all along. It's not a puzzle. It's not ironic. It's not a cosmic game or or joke. It's just the simple, bare, unadorned truth of things. If you search for a Buddha outside of birth and death, it's like trying to go south while your spear is headed north. You will just cause yourself to remain all the more in birth and death, in dukkha, and miss the way of emancipation. Just understand that birth and death is itself nirvana. Every day is a good day. There is nothing such as birth as death to be avoided. There is nothing such as emancipation and liberation to be sought. When we realize this then we're home. We're free. And we realize it by actually practicing it, embodying it. Not as a not as a rehearsal, but as the thing itself. We're in it, you're in it. This is it. And in each moment that we practice that, we are coming into alignment more and more. So, maybe in a moment, in those moments, should you have such a one that seems decidedly not good, just let these words of you men sit there on your shoulder. Bring them to mind. When doubts arise, the faith mind says, just think not too." For a practitioner, that is not just an idea. It's not just a thought. Bringing those words to mind has effect. It does something. It doesn't mean we automatically realize it, but it's those words connect with experience that we've had, sometimes experience we don't even know we've had. And so that's why the, there's a quality of mindfulness, which is to remember, to bring to mind what is true in that moment. Let these words, these teachings sort of give us counsel in that moment, they will. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.